welcome back to Are, are Your Parents Proud of You? Yes. <laughs> I'm Connor Brown. I'm Matt. Hi, Matt. No, I'm, you. Oh, gosh. Guys, I'm so sorry. I did not have my chai latte today. Oh, gosh. But it's okay because we have Raymond Cleveland on the show. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, Raymond and I know each other actually. We did a show this past summer mm-hmm. called Homeland 24, The People's Play. Mm. Uh, yes. Really great actor, but is also a performer, a stage manager, a costume designer, choreographer, director. Chore- yeah. <laughs> uh, a LGBTQ supporter. Yes. And is also. Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel. Chanel, who is also who does drag as well. <laughs> so we get to talk to them about growing up, uh, getting involved in the community. Coco Chanel's origin story, really. Yeah. Um. So, take a listen. Hi, Raymond. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy. Yeah. We're thank so you. Have you. <laughs> yeah. And this is not your first podcast. It is not. It is not. Um, I recently did um, an LGBTQ uh, podcast, um, one of the only in Chicago, uh, and that was pretty cool. Just talking about drag and how I started, and talking about some of the pioneers of Chicago drag community as well. So very cool. Oh, that's awesome. yeah. Well, we know each other. We did Homeland Twenty Four. We did. We did. We did it. We did. <laughs> yes, I, I call it our um, our modern Hamlet. It will be oh, because it was epically long. <laughs> it it really was. But I mean, you know, and I died. So spoiler. Yeah. You, you um, died in Act One. Too. In Act One. Oh, so now yeah. So Act Two was like the ghost, <laughs> <laughs> the ghost to Baba. That was my character's name. Baba, Baba was a delight, though. My favorite kind of ghost, you know. Yeah. Baba ghost. Baba ghost. Yes. There it is. Come to the stage, Baba ghost. <laughs> Yeah, so where did you grow up? Um, so originally, uh, I was born in uh, on the south side of Chicago. Okay. So I was born and raised here in Chicago. Yes. Um, so I'm, I grew up in uh, 95th and Jeffrey, so okay. Jeffrey Manor. Um, and I stayed there until like my teen years. So my parents wanted to be like, let's get him a better education. Because mm-hmm. I did go to Catholic school when I was younger. Um, but they wanted to like, you know, get me into the suburban life. Uh, so we actually moved to Dalton. Uh, when I was 13. And I went to um, Thornridge uh, High School there. And that's actually where I started acting because I joined the speech team because, um, so tip it, um, I didn't know, understand about depression. So, (laughs) and as I was going to puberty, I realized I was depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I realized like, I I think I'm gay. I I don't know what I am, I'm confused. Um, so then I, I got picked on a lot when I was there, uh, but theater kind of saved me. So I always say like theater saved me because it gave me something that um, let me know that I was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I started doing like the musicals there and then I would do speech team during the fall seasons. And I was lucky to work with some really great people including uh, Nelson Ellis, uh, famously known from True Blood. Oh. Um, he played Lafayette. So we, we both started together. So we were kind of rivals but friendly way <laughs> um like he would like win a national title i won the state title like he won one competition and i won the other one wow. and it was like a back and forth thing um with us and um and i can still say to this day i did help him graduate because i was his tutor for math because he was really bad at math <laughs> hear that <laughs> listeners <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i'll just say that so if you're not calling him out Right. Yes. Uh, well, he's no longer with us now, um, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, but uh, it, it was another thing too. It's like he got to the Juilliard. I made the waiting list, so it's like, oh, yay! Yeah. 
So that's why I actually have um, a one-woman show called How I Almost Made It. So I talk, I always sing through it, and I was like, oh, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm like, I work with all these people that have gone on to be like movie stars, doing all these TV shows, and I'm still here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so I went to high school at Thornridge, and I went to um, college, and um, that was an experience. And uh, that's when I was like able to like fully come out and like really like start to live my truth, whatever that was. Yeah. Um, and plus, it was like it was the '90s when I went to college, so time was a little different then. So it wasn't like I mean, Will and Grace was out, but that was still like it's comedic gay. So it's like as long as it's funny, we're fine. Um, but let's not talk about the real stuff. So, um, so yeah. So I, I, you know, I was you know I came out and that was um, it. It went over okay with my parents. I didn't have an issue where it was like they kicked me out or they disowned me. Um, I joke about it because I say like uh, my home is sort of like the don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> because it's like I don't tell you about my sexual exploits and you don't want to know. So, um, so it's kind of like that ground. Um, so yeah, but so I went to college and then I I left college. So I was like it was a change of also administration. So um, we lost like half our funding for. A lot of it so I was like well guess I'm not going anymore so we're going to try to um, work so I just went to start working and then I missed performing mm-hmm. I missed acting so I um, I looked up and this is when because um, there was a hiatus time for perform Inc so this is when perform Inc was only you could pay for it mm-hmm. so I, I bought the perform Inc paper not digital, paper. Yeah, there's, there's a thing called paper back then. There was. Um, and then I found this audition for Sleeping Beauty. Okay. And I auditioned for that show. And um, I, was, I was a little nervous because I was like, okay, well, I haven't acted like at this, at this point in like a year and a half. So I was like, I, I, really, I, I miss it. I miss it. I've just been working. I miss it. So I'll go for the audition. And then, um, the director actually had me up for one of the princes. And then something inside of me said, you know what, there's a female character that's the evil villain named Belladonna in it. Can I just audition for it? And I did. And after I, I did the audition, the, the director said, oh, fuck. <laughs> As I later found out, she was like, I don't know what to do because no one else can play this role because I saw you do it. But you were part of, you were one of my princes. Now I gotta figure out who's gonna be my prince. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what she told me later on. Um, so yeah, so that was uh, the first time I ever did drag was for this kid show. Oh wow! What was the response like? Oh, they they loved it. Like it was it was so much fun. I had a blast. Um, I was hella skinny then. So, <laughs> so I was like, I can just buy things off the rack and it's great. Uh, so it was funny. And, I, and my, my running joke too for that show was like, you should see the costume underneath because it's better than what's on top. Because um, <laughs> I had like a full like bra with fishnets and, yeah. and there was like a sequence like garter belt yeah. thing. And the costume underneath was hot. What was on top was like, it's a muumuu, that's rainbow color. <laughs> The child-friendly version. Yes, and I was like, okay, we understand. But when the adults leave. But when the adults leave, hey, hey, watch out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so, and after I did did that show, I was like, okay, this is fun. And I did um, another play out there, did like a murder mystery. And then I was like, okay, I need to get to more shows. So I started doing more shows in the the South Suburbs. Um, And then um, 
after I got like tired of being the chorus boy, essentially, um, I was like, okay, you know what? I I need to really get into Chicago. I need to get into the city. So I, I changed my focus and uh, I really focused on like moving to the city. Uh, and that's when life happened. Um, my dad lost his job and we were really strapped with money. So we ended up losing the house and we moved and we used what money we had, we moved to the city. Which turned out to be a positive thing in, in hindsight, because um, Dalton at the time, it, when we first moved there, it was a beautiful, beautiful suburb. Mm -hmm. And then there is a quote, and please forgive me, this is what they say. Um, there's this quote called White Flight. Mm -hmm. If people are not familiar with that, um, it's basically like when neighborhoods change, when the primarily white people move out of a neighborhood and they move to someplace else, and then they make it affordable for people to live there, which means other types of, of people that are not used to upkeeping things move in. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what is a general term to use, white flight. Um, so that was happening in Dalton, and that's when we noticed crime was on the rise. Dalton is like a very small community. It's maybe like, I would say maybe 250,000 people-ish. Um, it was on CNN because uh, the mayor was embezzling money. Yeah. For a small city, why are we getting national coverage at the time? Um, but, uh, so, so like I said, it was, it was a positive thing because we moved to the city. So we lived in River North for a couple years and then I was like, I got to leave. So, uh, so then I moved to Lakeview and I just was like working, 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 not doing any shows, but just still working. Yeah. And then um, things started to, to change again because I needed to do something. So I auditioned for um, the St. Sebastian Players show, uh, Days of Wine and Roses. Okay. And um, I got a lead in that, which I was like, yay, huzzah. Um, <laughs> and that was a fun experience, but I was like, but something still is like, okay, I'm still, I play the straight character, which is cool, like got a wife and all that stuff. I'm like, I, I really want to do more things that are LGBTQ related. Yeah. And I didn't know how to do that. And at this time, at this time period, which is like 2005-ish, um, that's when the Bailiwick was still in existence. Um, so the Bailiwick was a, a non-equity theater company here in Chicago uh, run by David Zack. Um, and they were known for doing like, you know, queer performances and things like that. And what they were most known for was doing um, Naked Boy Singing. So I was like, okay, I heard about the show, I just never seen it, so let me just go and audition for it. So I went to the audition, um, and then I was, it was like talking to me, he was like, hey, I really like your voice, that's cool. Um, just so that you know, it is full nudity. I said, I'm sorry, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's actually full nude. They, they did an entire show nude, like, you don't even have shoes on. And I said, well, I thought that was like a funny parody thing. I can't do that. So, um, so he got mad at me and I wasn't cast anything for a while. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it happens. Um, but yeah, but so, so I, I, I was started trying to find like more audition, more audition stuff. And then, um, so at this time I was working at H&M. And then um, I actually, I ran across my old college professor mm -hmm. and she had said she was working with a theater company here in Chicago and they were looking for a stage manager. 
mind you, I had only been an actor. Yeah. I had never seen trash before. Uh, and her partner was uh, Fred Ansovino. So Fred Ansovino is the artistic director for Theo Ubaque. At the time, they were in Rogers Park. Now they're in Evanston. Um, but yeah, so this is so I was like, okay, I, can, I think I could do that. Like I'm pretty organized. I, I worked in corporate fields, so like I I have a pretty organized mind. That's fine. Um, so then I, I signed on to be their stage manager for Cabaret. Um, so I you know I was stage managing that show that show and then uh, once again I never stage managed a show. I never ran a light board. Yeah. All through college, never had to do it. Fred got really sick right before tech and was not there until opening. So I had to figure out all this on my own. <laughs> and mind you, this is also the first show that Chris Jones, which you know, a legendary reviewer, yeah. was coming to the show. Like one of the first times that they got him to come and review one of their actual shows. Again, I was at the beginning of their height. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that was a little nerve-wracking. Uh, so but I, I I mustered through and I figured it out and it was it was great. And then after that I worked on several shows after that. I um, I worked on the Lost and Loses of the Night. Um, so I was there for that creation of that show, which is like a, a review show, and then uh, Bell Barth and Avida, which is like the pinnacle of like, okay, my brain hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ever been to the original uh, space that they had, it was a very small stage. Yeah. They would fit maybe like 60 people in there. And and Evita, we had 13 actors doing these multiple roles. So we had to, and they had costume changes too. So we had to figure out where they were gonna go in this small space um, and dealing with, you know, people that would like to come in off the street just drunk or crazy. So I had to play like security guard as well with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that was like really cool. I was like, okay, I was getting into that. That was cool, that was fun. During this time, I I've had an opportunity to perform in drag. Okay, so this has been like it had been like maybe six or seven years since I did the kids show, and I was like I don't know if I can do that. My friend was like Oh no, it's fine. You did it in the kids show. It'd be fine. And it was for a drag king company called Genderbent. So they were like Yeah, we're doing this fundraiser show, and we're trying to like get our footing. And and here's the funny thing about Chicago industry. When I when I first started, it was like at least four different drag king companies, uh, and now they're like all non-existent. Uh, but they they asked me to, to perform in drag, so I was like, okay, sure. So I spent like about forty dollars on my outfit. I made about twenty dollars in tips, so it was only twenty dollars in a hole. It's fine. Uh, but then the um, the bar owner um, Ashley Morgan, who ended up being my drag mom. Because I asked her later, she was like, "Oh, that was really cool. I, I loved your performance. Would you um, would you come and do Drag Factor?" So Drag Factor was like a drag competition that they had at the call, uh, and I was like, "Okay, sure, I can I can do that. That's cool." Uh, and that's when I got the bug, because um, it was me and another performer, um, Tippy Tippy Peppermint, and um, who, who just recently retired from doing drag, um, and we competed against each other, and then I actually won. And it was like, a, oh, oh, this is, this is cool. So I don't, I don't need a director to tell me what I'm doing. I don't need a costumer because I can do it myself. I don't need, you know, like a choreographer because I'm also a choreographer. So, <laughs> uh, so it was like, oh, I can, I can just produce myself and be my full version of myself and do songs that I don't get to do as a boy. You know, I was like, oh, 
now this is where it's at for me. I love this. And so that was when it started happening. And then, um, so I, after I won the Drag Factor, Ashley Morgan asked me to be part of their, um, their monthly shows they were doing to raise money for LGBTQ community mm-hmm. um, events and things. So I did that for about eight years. Um, I was with part of the main cast for eight years at the call, and I know we raised over a hundred thousand dollars for different organizations. Um, and what was really good about that was the fact that we were just giving back. I was using my art to give back to the community, mm-hmm. which is something I, I'd like to give back. I like to help more, and that's why now I'm part of um, the story time with drag queens. Um, so we go around the city and tell life stories to kids, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And um, and stay tuned for that because there's some things I cannot talk about yet. Uh, but yeah, so it's really exciting. That was that was really fun and really cool. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like how I started and how that kind of uh, manifest. And uh, I will say, the coming out part wasn't hard for me because my parents were accepting of that. Yeah. The drag part was a little harder mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because my parents are more conservative. So um, I don't. I don't think they understood what I was trying to tell them about drag mm-hmm. because the only drag they, they knew about was from the baton. And typically the performers at the baton, uh, which is a great establishment, but they are, most of them are transgendered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not trans. I don't want to be trans. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have very, I have a lot of friends that are trans. I love them. I adore them. But I'm like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. I enjoy being a drag performer. You know, um, so I think that was um, something they're still coping with yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, although when I did perform at the Baton, they were there in full support, mm-hmm. um, which is good. But it's also like it's very much like you can tell the mood shifts whenever I start talking about drag stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 been slowly coming around. Like my mom recently helped me make um, a green coat because I wanted to have this really long green coat so I could do um, a little shop and I could sing that live. Because <laughs> my dream, my dream is to play Audrey too as a drag queen. Like my, my ultimate goal would be like you have a normal plant and you have a normal plant for the entire time and then for me, green mother, the plant will open up. And yeah. a drag queen would come through, yeah. and it's because the plant is in a pot, yeah. Yeah. and then it transforms into its true nature. Oh. That would be the ultimate dream for me to be like to do that. That's awesome. So, if any producers out there hear that, mm-hmm. you want to hire someone. Exactly. So, yeah, but that, that's something that, um, like I said, they've, they've been coming around more. And um, as I was talking with them about, like, I'm doing more TV stuff and, and doing more things like that, they're like, okay, okay. I think they're, for them, they, are, they do come from the generation of, like, you know, work for, for a good job and stay there and do that. I'm like, that's not our world anymore. Yeah. Like, companies are, don't expect you to stay at a job for 20, 30 years and then retire. Like, they expect you to be there maybe five, ten, ten years max. And that's like, oh, why are you still here? But yeah, so that, I think they're starting to understand, like, okay, you know what? He, he's an artist. Yeah. He wants to, you know, pursue art and make a living at that and, and do what's really happy and, and be happy for him. So they're starting to come around more now. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's been a journey for them. And what is your drag name? Um, my drag name is Coco Shodell, spelled differently, so don't get sued. How did you come up with that name? When, uh, when I was about to perform for the Drag King Company, um, mm-hmm. I did not know what my drag name would be. I just had no idea. I was like, 
what's going to be. I don't know. So, you know, they had the whole thing of like, okay, your first name is um, the name of your animal, and the, your last name is like the street you lived on. I was like, that is so boring. <laughs> Mine's a bit Abram Merrill. Gross. So I'm going to do my own. So I love, as a kid, the group SWV, which is uh, Sisters with Voices. And the lead singer, her name is Coco. So I was like, okay, that that's a, a connection to my childhood. So I said, okay, the first name is going to be Coco. And then, uh, what's my last name? So I was like, okay, well, you do musical theater, you do plays, so you do shows. So that's why it's show, S-H-O. Uh, and then um, one of my favorite actresses is Nell Carter. So that's why it's Nell is spelled that way, N-E-L-L for Nell Carter. Um, and then I wanted to play on the fact that I am also like, like, I work on a lot of costumes for plays too. So if you do Coco Chanel, it's, it's sounds like Coco Chanel, yeah. the designer. Yeah. So that way it's like, it's connecting those worlds for me. And then it's also like a little different. So it's like playing on the name, but also making it recognizable and easy for people to like say and pronounce. So, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. I love that. And you were in Bite, a yes. punky queer cabaret. Were you in it as Coco? So I was billed technically as Raymond. Okay. Um, but I, I, it was pretty much like Coco on stage. Yeah. Um, I, I will say it's, it's in my top three favorite shows. Um, really? Yes. Uh, next to The Death of Guy Divine. Um, those are the two shows. And not because I was a lead in it, I was. What I love about Bite was it was a completely queer show. Mm-hmm. And it showed um, people that were pansexual. It showed people that were uh, undetermined and just undecided. You know, like, whatever, I'm just just part of the family. And that's what I really loved on the show. And it was like a play off the whole um, Midsummer Night's Dream. But it was was for modern times. And I just really, everyone that came to the show loved it. And I still get people coming up to me talking about, like, when can we... Put this back up again because I love the show. Yeah. And it's been three years now. It's been three years, and people are still like, I love that show. Yeah. Um, so I think it had a really uh, positive effect on the community and, and just the, the art industry itself because it was different. And I'll be shady. So sometimes um, the Jeff committee does not understand things that are not in a perfect little neat package. When things are out of what their comfort zones are, they tend to um, get afraid by it. And that was evident our opening night when we had eight Jeff Committee members in the front row. And I came out with full boa, titties all out, in a body shaper, and I went right to their face like, you are not going to be ignored by me because I am right in your face. And I scared the bejesus out of them. Because I remember their face of like, oh my God, what is happening here? I'm like, and it's clear, like, you don't go to any regular drag shows. You don't understand the community. So we were presenting something that was true and authentic to the community itself, uh, people that are part of the the nightlife scene. And they did not get it at all. So I think that's why we were kind of ignored by Jeff Committee because there was a lot of great performances. And everyone that was in that cast is also doing like equity stuff and all over the city. Yeah. So we that show was stellar and it had a lot of great talent in it. So they missed out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're holding a grudge or anything. No, not at all. No. No, I just, I just want more inclusive in, in different shows that are... Um, recognized. Yeah. 
I love that story though. I scared the Jeff committee. I did. I remember them, and they they ran out of there. Really? After they ran. Did they stay throughout the whole show? They stayed through the entire show, okay. but as soon as it was over, they were up and out. Oh my goodness. And I was I have never seen y'all move this fast. <laughs> so you have taken dance classes before, right? I do. Um, so um, this past uh, week, I just uh, taught. Um, we did Hairspray Junior with uh, Little Buds Theater. And um, it was actually their last uh, performance as a company. And they've been around for 15 years. Um, and yeah, and I, I, that was really, it was really cool to do that. But yeah, I dance, I choreograph. And um, that was the first time I really felt like I'm okay as a choreographer. I always like questioned it because I was like, yeah, yeah I, I didn't get a degree in dance. Um, but, you know, I studied and I, I researched and, you know, I've been fortunate to, to work on shows as a choreographer that have done well. But that was the one that was like, I was teaching kids from like 9 to 15 to do the Madison. And I made them do the traditional Madison. There was no, we're going to play with it. No, you're going to learn the actual Madison. Yeah. And they were never afraid it for the rest of their lives. I know they won't because I drilled them. It touched me because I I really enjoy being able to give back and teaching kids like how to be professional, and I know that's going to take them further in life. Yeah. It was like just great to see these kids like the the potential. I see it. I, I love like being there for like the beginning of the scene, that whole, and they're starting to really get into it and really like enjoy like the process. And you know they'll ask me like actor questions. I'm like, so this line, what does this mean? And I'm like, okay, well let's talk about that. Let's you know delve into it. And it was really cool to, to, to be able to do that, you know? How did you get involved with choreography and choreographing? Yeah, um, so I had a theater company with me and my best friend, Toma, Toma Langston. Um, we had, uh, so it started off as innate evolution because everyone has innate nature and through that we all evolve. That's why we call it innate evolution. Um, so we did a couple shows under our belt and this goes ties back to what I said earlier. Um, our first show was a zoo story in the sandbox. Um, so it was me and uh, my good friend Casey Chapman. We were the two principals in that uh, Edward Albee story. So when we did that show, pretty much Chicago theater reviewers, A, they outed me. I wasn't ready to be on a global stage that way, or in print. Um, so that was A. B, I got the worst reviews of my life. And I did not work for a while as, a, as an actor um, because of that. And that's, that was showing that the time, this is like, so this is like 2006, 2007. Um, and I did not work for several years because I had this negative reviews about me. And it's not fair because I was trying something, we were trying something different with the show. Because if you don't know the show's the story, um, it's basically about two guys on a park bench. One is homeless and one is like an established like family man. Um, so we actually took it to the role of like, well, the family man is actually on the down low. So that's why he would go to the park and meet people and then see if they would have a little fun together. That's why, like, why, why else would you sit on a park bench with somebody that's homeless and have a full conversation with them? if there wasn't something interesting about it. So we took it a different road of like, well, let's, let's explore the download world because that's very true to people's lives and people were afraid to talk about it. So uh, we always were like risk takers. So I got some bad press with that um, and it, it, it affected me in several ways. So that's why I took myself out of the actor role 
And I said, well, you know what? Why don't I just be behind the scenes? So our next couple shows, I was just um, either the costumer when we did um, Four Color Girls, and, um, and then the Drift to Macau, I was the costumer slash choreographer. And that was the first time I actually choreographed a show. Um, and then I was like, okay, so people seem to like my choreography, and it's just, you know, I studied the greats, you know, and then and try to infuse my silliness into it, you know? So it's like, it's just a fun. Um, and the way that I work, I, I like to be collaborative because everyone's skill set is different. Like, you know, some people are like, I've never taken a dance class in their life, and some people are like, oh yes, I'm modern, jazz, tap, all that stuff. So I was like, so let's, let's make this cohesive so we all work together. Um, so that's when I really started to, to delve into choreography when I had my own company. And then when we, uh, when we closed down, I was like, okay, well, why don't we um, continue with that? And one thing that always stuck in my head was um, when I was in high school, my acting teacher, more than my college professors, said, learn everything and try to master what you can so that you can have multiple avenues of doing things. That always stuck with me. Um, so thank you, Mr. Kirksey. So that's, that's kind of what I did. So that's why I was like, okay, add this to my place. So I have choreographer, I have costumer, I have actor, you know. So like, okay, so now I can do these multiple things. So if I see job postings, I can be like, well, I'm, I'm booked, I'm working, I'm doing these things. Yeah. And I, I wish more people had that mindset of like learn multiple things so you can do multiple things. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you, it's a slow season as an actor. Yeah. And you can be like, okay, I've had a gig for six months. And then sometimes you're just like, Overwhelmed because it's all the opportunities that you can you can be a part of, but I have to make a decision. So that's that's uh, that's kind of how I started with that. Do you have a preference between acting, stage managing, designing? directing, choreography? What's your favorite? <laughs> I love acting. I love performing. I will say I love doing choreography because I get to sit sit at home and like really work out work on stuff and play with things, and then when we get to rehearsal space. I can like we can work together because I love the creation process. I love the the exploring the creativity of my brain and other other brains coming together and like creating this this new world that we're gonna create and new language. So it would be if if I could no longer act anymore, if I couldn't do that, I'm okay with being a choreographer. I, I've always said I. I I've, I've had multiple jobs, but I've only had one career, and that is the performing arts. Mm-hmm. I've always said that. Um, so I, I think it, whatever I do, even when I'm like 85 and have a biotic knee, because I, I always looked at, at like people that were older when I was younger, like, and why they look so youthful and were moving, because they were moving and they were still active, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be the person that's like, oh, I'm just sitting at home and watching Maury. I, I want to still be part of the performance of world. And I said, when I leave this earth, my only request is to cremate me. Because I'm like, don't put me in the ground. Don't do that. Cremate me and put my ashes in the foundation of a theater. So I can haunt it. Right? So I can haunt it. <laughs> Haunted Baba. Baba. <laughs> Full circle. And I'm actually going to take it back as well. Uh, yeah. You went to Lewis University. I did. What did you actually have a BFA in? Um, so I actually got, um, I got my associates when I was there technically. Okay. Because um, since I had, I had to stop because we lost funding, I didn't have enough money to complete mm-hmm. without like, putting down like, uh, 
outrageous amount of money. Um, so I actually got um, an associate's in business. Originally went to Lewis actually as a computer science major because I did not trust my own talent. And that came from my parents as well of being like, well, you know, there's a lot of actors out there and it's a hard business. Why don't you like get a major in something that you think you would enjoy? And I was like, at the time I was good at computers. Um, I mean, this is back when like Dreamweaver was a thing and people know what that is. So I was like, okay, I think I could do this. And then when I went to college, um, so my freshman year, that was also rather new because uh, I got a lead my freshman year. In most, most universities, that does not happen. You have to like work your way up. And that my, my freshman year, because we did um, Wait Until Dark, uh, Frederick Knox, and I was a Harry Rote in that play. And that was the deciding factor of me to change my, my major initially from computer science to theater. Did not make my parents happy. <laughs> they were not pleased. Um, but I'm like, I, I kept saying, you should have known this was going to happen. I, I try to follow your, your rules and, you know, but I'm like, you should have known this was going to happen. Um, so yeah, but that was kind of a big deal too, because I was like, I was in the newspapers out there and it was like a really big deal. Like, first of all, I was the, the first freshman black mm -hmm. to get a principal lead in a, in a play out there with the, with the guy that built the theater, um, which, um, Mr. Chet Dondradowitz. Um, he is no longer with us as well, unfortunately. Um, but uh, he built that theater. He was also on Broadway for like um, the first revival of A Cat on Hot Tin Roof. Uh, so he had like a lot of prestige and stuff. And I was scared because yeah. I had never experienced that kind of excitement around me before. And I was like, okay, okay. So this is this is cool, exciting. Also, I was terrified because I was like, I don't know if I can if I can do a good job. I, even like I, yes I had been on the speech team I won awards in the speech team and all that stuff but it, it was still very new and frightening for me because I was like I don't I just don't I don't know you know and I'm taking a leap of faith because I'm like I think my, inst my instincts was like go do it do it do it but my mind was like okay that's not the safe choice that's not why, why are you doing something so outlandish and, yeah. um, so but I mean it, it turned out to be a great show and I, I love the show I, I love um there's a there's a, a VHS of performance of it. This is a funny story. Okay, so um, so when we when we were doing the show, uh, most of the things will happen because you know it's live theater. Yeah. Things happen. Yeah. Um, so the first weekend that we did the show, um, so if you don't know the show, the story is about a couple that live in New York, um, and the wife is actually recently became blind. So the husband's trying to teach her how to survive on her own because he's always like running off into different business trips. So, uh, so he at the beginning of the show he's talking with his wife and he smokes a cigarette. Uh, back when you could smoke in a the theater, so uh, so he was smoking a cigarette and then just to kind of teach her like where's the smoke coming from so you can figure out where it is. An audience member stands up and right as they're in dialogue he says that is not dramatically necessary why do you have to ruin it for all of us stands up and walks out of the theater now mind you i don't come on stage after he leaves so i thought i missed McHugh because there was silence on stage and i was like oh fuck i'm late so i'm like running downstairs putting my costume on and they were like wait what just happened and so they came off stage and told me like what happened later. So that's not recorded. 
But what is recorded, <laughs> um, we were doing the show, and so the, the set is very much like a New York apartment, yeah. nothing crazy. Uh, my, my parents came to the show along with my Aunt Midge and my little cousin Crystal. Remember that. So we're doing the show, and I had my big entrance when I come in, and uh, they, they started applauding. I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, I know you're here. There's one, one of the actors on stage with me, because we're like kind of gangsters. Um, we're trying to, spoiler, we're trying to get drug money because uh, I, I pretend to be, um, there's a, this person, Luciana. Uh, she gives him this doll because she wants to get it past customs so that they can, they can deal drugs and make money. Uh, we were end up in the house and stuff, and I tell him he's, the one guy goes to make a sandwich. He goes to the refrigerator door, opens the door, all the shelves fall out. So he has to clean up, and I make some sort of like improv joke about like, you know, you're a freaking mess or something like that. And then, um, spoiler, at the end of the play, I actually die. And the show's called Waiting to Dark because at the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show, it's all in darkness. So you get like flashes of light throughout the entire show. So at the very end, like I, I'm dying over the refrigerator door. Um, and then we, you can hear it's a pin drop in the, in the theater. What just happened? That's my little cousin, Crystal. My aunt goes, Raymond died. She goes, what? Raymond died. Loud as day. Oh my God, Raymond's dead! So the girl that played um, the opposite of me, she's behind the door. She says, "So, your family's here? Yeah, yeah, they're here. Well, it's, it's, we know they're here. They're they're watching." <laughs> when you had to do like the curtain call, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, he's not dead!" Stood up. Yes. Oh my gosh. She was so happy, and then she came backstage and was like, look, see, we're friends. Oh, she gave her the stink eye. But that was that was a fun show, but I think I had the most injuries from that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had the most injuries um, because she's blind. So there's yeah. one point, like, she throws a, a vase full of, uh, uh, it's supposed to be, like, um, gasoline with oil on top. Mm-hmm. So she threw it in my face. She, she always missed my face. Well, the water would miss my face. Not the vase. Yeah. <laughs> so I had like a fat lip one day because it was just like it hit me right in the lip. Um, I also had a switchblade, yeah. so uh, which are they're still illegal in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So we had to find a switchblade. Um, so I had to learn how to maneuver it. So I had to learn how to actually flip it with one hand. So th- I had like all these cuts on my hands because it's an actual knife. Um, yeah, and the whole like throwing stuff on on the the stage, it was slippery, and I I fell at one point. Like, yeah, um, there was a safe on stage at one point, so like we ran to a safe because we like were chasing each other at one point. It it was the most bruise I've ever had in any show. But it was so, so much fun. Yeah. I was yes. in that show and played police officer one. My dad was in the audience, so he heard. And so the finale, where it's all in the dark, yep. and you just see a flashlight, you just hear my line go, he's somewhere here. And my dad go, yes. And after the show, what do you think? Oh, so good. I just couldn't see you. Well, we call it Wait Until Dark Dad for a reason. Yeah, exactly. You have been performing in the 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, now. What do you think has changed throughout that time, even with you, the theater scene in general, Chicago, what do you think? I'm happy to say that it's become more occlusive. Yeah. 
Um, that's one of the major changes I've noticed uh, because when I first started coming in, first of all, when you were doing the non-equity world, it was um, not all the postings and auditions were, were posted. They only went in performing or it was just um, they only sent out to certain people they wanted to audition. And that's literally how it was. So it was hard to get into the non-equity world to begin with because I was like, I don't know where to go. And if you're not like going to Columbia, Roosevelt, or like some Chicago school, you have no idea. So that's a hard market to get into initially. It's it's it become better better now, but it was rough at the beginning. I was like, I don't know where to go. And like when I would find out about an audition, it was already over. It's also a lot of um I, I I'm happy to see a lot of people are um embracing different types of theater as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like literally it was only a bailiwick at the time that was only doing anything that was queer based. It also was a certain type of demographic that I don't think everyone appreciates. When I say that, meaning um, they would do things like naked boy singing. Mm -hmm. And the cast was primarily Caucasian men. And that's who it geared towards, Caucasian men. And I was like, Chicago is a vast community. There are other people that are part of the spectrum. So we should be encouraging it and embracing that. With Pride Films and Plays, uh, they have embraced that more. And that's good to see. It was also hard to, because um, I was always, always told a lot of times to, like, oh, why don't you go equity? Why don't you go equity? Like, I'm sure you do well in equity. And I'm like, will I? Yes, there are a lot of equity houses here, but A, I don't have a car. B, as people should know this, it's a good $1,200 to join equity. Not everyone has that in their bank accounts, just to be like, oh, here, I'm going to join, yeah. you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's a huge step. So I, I'm glad to see like there's more opportunities for people to actually be working actors that don't have to join a union so they can be working actors, you know? So that's one of the, the positive changes I've, I've seen. Um, some of the things I do not like is the call-out cr- culture. Um, and when I say that, it's more of, some people will do the call-out culture because they want attention, not because they want change. Because... I, as, as I've tried to do over the years, I've always been like an advocate for like, let's help each other, let's, let's be a true community and let's work together. And a lot of people I've seen, like they'll make Facebook rants and they'll just be like, this person's canceled, that person's canceled. And as a, um, a little tidbit about me, as an Eastern Daishonin Buddhist, dialogue heals and help and encourages change. So if we don't have a conversation of like, well, why is that person canceled? Why are we just canceling them out as a human being? They are a human being. People are allowed to make mistakes. Let's talk about why they made that mistake so they do not repeat it. Because if you don't learn from our mistakes, we're doomed to repeat it, Trump. Just slip that in there. But yes, we need to learn from our mistakes and, and let's have the, 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 the dialogue and the conversation. Why did you do this? Or why did this issue happen? Let's figure out what is the root of that problem so that we can fix the root of the problem. Let's not just throw some away because they made a mistake. Let's talk about it. Let's fix it together. If you want to call them out, then you should be brave enough to try to fix the problem. Shablam. What do you think you, about you yourself has changed over the years as well? I think I've become um, more open mm-hmm. personally. Um, like Before, I was very um, guarded emotionally as a person. I didn't share a lot. 
Um, I would talk and be like, have a good time. I didn't share about like my history, my, my backstory of like, you know, um, growing up on the South Side. I didn't share, because I didn't think people wanted to hear it. I didn't think people cared um, about who I was as a person. And lately I've, I've been um, talking to a lot of people about like, well, what's, what's your background? Where did you grow up? Because that's one of the things that just talk to people like, what, what's your background? Like, how did you become you to this, to this day? Um, and I think it's important that we start um, having those deeper conversations to get to know people better, you know? Because I think we, we as humans, we, we survive by communicating and connecting. And we just need to just be more, more thoughtful and more understanding of people that are different from us. You know? It's almost like this is what the podcast is helping to do. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! We want to expose you. I do have a question. You brought yeah. it up. How did you get into Buddhism? My friend, my the gentleman I, I started the theater company with, Toma, um, he was uh, studying Buddhism, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, when did we learn about it? Oh, so backtrack. Um, <laughs> my parents, so my mother is Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father is Catholic. Um, for several years, I was solitary Wiccan. Uh, because I didn't really fit into the whole Catholicism world. It just didn't jive right with me. Mm-hmm. I even went to Catholic school. Um, but yeah, so I was a solitary awakening uh, for years. And then um, as like things, I was, I was just working and doing my thing. And I've always been, I felt like we should connect with nature. That has always been my thing. Um, so when uh, my friend was, was talking about like, oh, do you want to chant with me? I was like, sure, I can, I'll, I'll learn, you know? Um, and so I started like um, chanting with him and, and then going to uh, the Soka Gakkai. It's, it's, it's gorgeous, it's a huge um, center. Uh, it's not a temple, it's a, it's a center. Um, just so people know, there, yeah. like, there, aren't, there aren't priests. There are some Buddhist sects that actually have priests and it's very similar to Catholicism, I don't understand that. But it's what it is. There, there are over 250 sects, which is divisions of Buddhism. Um, but our version is a little bit more of like um, a community. Um, so, so we were like, I was starting to, to learn about it and, and chanting with them. I was like, oh, this, this actually, I like the principles that's, that's being taught. Um, I think kind of jives with who I am as a person. And my thing was always like, because my mom goes to church. She's, she's a trustee at her church. And she's always like going there every Sunday. And she's doing all that stuff. And I'm like, look, I don't have time. Because I perform Saturday night, I get I got home at 4 in the morning. I can't be at church at 8. <laughs> Sorry, it's not happening. Because if I do show up, I'm going to smell like gin and sin. But what I like about Buddhism is that I can, I can chant, I connect with, uh, with the universe. And that was a, a major thing for me. It was like, oh, I didn't hear God, I heard universe. Which means it's encompassing of all things, not just humans, but also like animals and plants and the world. I'm like, that was a clue for me. Like, oh, it's it's everyone. Like, we're part of this 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 big circle, mm-hmm. you know. So, oh, that's what what why I started becoming a Buddhist. And um, so, when you get your Gohansan, which is what you help to chant to connect to the universe, um, I got it at the first uh, Pride uh, ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was June 5th, 2004, because I like numbers. So it was <laughs> 654. That's how I always remembered it. Um, and it was the very first one, too. So, and they've done like multiple now, like people that are like part of the LGBTQ community. They like, they like okay, we're going to do it on that, that day. So it's like kicking off Pride Month. Um, so yeah, and that was, it was, uh, that's kind of how I, I got into that. And it's, I've been still doing it. Like, 
it's it's fulfilling for me because I don't have to go to I don't have to be at the center even though like I should go back for a while but you don't have to be at the center you can practice in your home yeah. like it's about your connection with the universe it's not you have to be like do this thing do that thing it's about your connection and how you're taking the principles and applying it to your life and being positive and putting it out to the world and was this another choice that your parents thought was a uh, questionable now that's the thing they never. They did, that was the problem for them because okay. they wanted me to pick what what fits for me. Okay. Their only thing was like, just pick something. I don't care what you pick, just pick something. Believe in something. Um, that was their only like thing. Uh, but they never like stressed like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. It was more of like, I'm like, we're we're different. Like, my, your dad's Catholic. I'm Baptist. Like, it's under the Catholicism world, but the how the teachings are <laughs> different. Um, and like, I, I, I still say my dad is an EMC, Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas. He's that kind of Catholic. Love you, Dad. And how much does your Buddhism go into your craft, you think? Honestly, a lot. It has, um, it has opened me up to, to understand more of the human condition. Because um, I think, in my personal opinion, I think some of the great actors in, that we've known over time, they're able to tap into something that is bigger than themselves. It helps me to connect something to tell a true story. And I think that's where we should aspire to as artists. We should be able to, to be our true authentic selves in whatever form we're doing, whether it's dance or poetry or, or acting or, or singing. It should be the, the, the true, pure moments we're trying to express and show to the world. And that's how I kind of connect with it. It just helps me to, to just open up and not, not be Raymond or, you know, is, is to, to be something else, something greater. Um, and I really noticed that, that change um, when I was doing one of the benefit shows at the call and we had a disco night. So um, I love disco. Love disco. I'm not shocking. Gay black man loves disco. So we were doing the show, and um, that was the first time I ever did uh, drag that was, my head was completely shaven. So I did it with no wig, um, before Sasha Velour and all that stuff, and it was a, a popular thing. I did it with, you know, with a shaved head. I thought it would be fun. Uh, and also it was like an homage to Sylvester, who was a big, like, pop star that was openly gay and, and black and just did not apologize for, for who they were, you know, as a person. Uh, so I thought it was important to do that. And then um, after I did um, the number, um, that night somebody came up to me and they were like, oh my God, like I started crying when I saw you because you reminded me of being in New York, going to Studio 54, seeing Sylvester live perform. And it just brought me to such uh, a place of joy and excitement, being like 19 years old, getting to a club in New York and, and being part of the disco scene. And it was, it, it was a really wonderful time of his life. And he just loved it so much that it brought him back to that time and made him feel so good because he was having a really bad day. And, and that was like, oh, my performances can help change someone and change their mood and bring them to a place of peace and happiness. And that was like, okay, you got to continue with this. This is, this is what you could be doing to change people's lives. And that was like the nail in the coffin. I was like, oh, we're, we're continuing with this. There's no, there's no wavering. There's no, well, maybe I'll move on to the next thing. No, we're going to stick with this. So 
Too. Likewise, you know, it, it can just help and change so many people's lives. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, everyone, everyone like sometimes like poo-poo's on Hamilton. But I'm like, you know what, Hamilton is doing something really good because we have hood people from 95th and Jeffrey bopping Hamilton. That would never happen. You're not going to have them listen to My Fair Lady. But I mean, like people are like, we're, we're bumping at it, like they're 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 picnics and stuff. Yeah. I was like, this shows you what what performance in theater can do for people. It can literally expose people to something new, and just really like change their mindset. And hopefully, that's what you know we can continue to do as artists. Like you know, expose people to something that they maybe not know about or understand, and and get them to understand it and learn about it. You know. Yeah. And as you're talking about giving back to the community, even if it's not to a huge extent like a fundraiser or something, honestly, yeah. just performing and presenting yourself yes. is giving back to the community, mm-hmm. even in a small way, yeah. taking them on an adventure, a journey. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I just love that. I love being able to, to, to do that. And I'm fortunate mm-hmm. um, to have done drag for 10 years and have the longevity of that. Um, when some people, like, you know, they'll, they'll fizzle out. They'll come in and... Like I've talked to people before, and they're like, "I can't do it anymore. This this world is too much for me." Like, in in the the world now of RuPaul's Drag Race, um, it's a good and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I said this before too. Um, it's a good thing because we're getting main exposure to the drag community and to the LGBTQ plus world. Um, so it's good that we're, we're exposed to people, people that maybe live in a rural area that don't have that support system. They can watch the show and feel connected to something like, you know, you are valued, you are important, yeah. you know. Um, it's bad uh, because we have people that only know drag or the community from the show. They don't know that, you know, your local bars, they may not have the polished look as some of the queens on the show but they are just as important or valuable. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot of um, negative comments towards people that are like, they don't look like a certain person they, that they're familiar with seeing on TV. So they'll like bash them like, oh, that, that dress was cheap or oh, their make, makeup was busted. You know, the eyebrows are like oatmeal. Like you, you forget where our, our pioneers came from or people that like fought for our rights so that you have the freedom to say what you can right now, you know? Cause I mean, even, even here in Chicago, like certain, certain things about, like there was gay bars, but just to know that it was gay, people, some people don't know this, uh, to know that it was gay, they would take the, the sign and turn it upside down. So that way you would know that, oh, that, that establishment is gay. So you, you're, you're safe to be there. And Chicago was one of the, the big cities that was raided a lot, just like New York. You know, unfortunately, we didn't have a Stonewall, but they, they, New York did. But we were raided just as much as New York was. But it's not talked about because people don't want to talk about it always. And also we had... The first daily, who was not the most inclusive mayor of history. <laughs> um, do your research, kids, and understand what Cabrini Green was. Because it really was just a holding center. Well, to kind of lighten the, the load a little yes. bit, um, do you personally have any icons, maybe specifically LGBTQ or drag? Yes. Um, so, well, well, personally, like, I always had, like, Nell Carter was always, like, a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I loved her. I, I want to have the career that she had. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I would love to have an Emmy and a Tony. But um, but certain people that, that were here before me that I love to watch, um, like Taj Mahal was a, an amazing performer and a lovely host. Um, she is actually the drag mom to Dita Ritz, who was on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, Taj is no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, but there's some, some pioneers like Rough and Stuff, Miss Rough and Stuff. She has been doing drag for over 20 years. She has been, she, she does stuff on the south side. She does stuff at, at Hydrate downtown, uh, not downtown, but in Lakeview. Um, and just, she's been around for forever. Um, and Miss Fousey, what I love about Miss Fousey is that she is a character. Like, she wears the same outfits. She has the pineapple hair. She calls everyone, hey, pineapple. Like, that's her thing. Like, pineapples are her thing. Um, and, and again, that was before the, the RuPaul, RuPaul era. So they weren't like, you know, you have to be the, the most feminine, the most passable, as some people say, um, looking drag queen. These are people like, look, it's clear. I'm a man in a dress yeah. with some makeup on. So we're going to have a good time, right? Right. Like, <laughs> there was no, um, you have to be like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't know what you are. You know, yeah. it, um, you know and there was um, some, some great other performers, too, that were just of that time. I, what I what I loved about them was the fact that they were always so welcoming and like, oh my God, go see them and they're like tweeting me or they'll like, you know, share what I post or whatnot. It, it, that's, it's really cool because I know I'm doing something right in my mind, you know. And where do you see the theater scene going from here? Where do you want more from it? I want more stories of people that are uh, people of color. This is what I have about issue about industry. A lot of times it's people of color. It's about two genres, slavery and servitude. Mm -hmm. I want to have more rom-coms of people of color. I want to see more of why they are, they're non-binary and they're just talking about a day-to-day -day life. And I want to see more of that because it's, it's not as heavily represented. So I think that's where we are going to start heading towards. I'm excited to see that more. Um, and, and if you don't believe me, look at all the people that won Oscars that are people of color. Yeah. They're either a servitude or it's about slavery. So let's, let's change the norm. And, yeah. and honestly, theater has always, always led the way for other forms of media, honestly. So start with theater and it, it changes on. <laughs> Well, I think for time's sake, we have to start wrapping up with our final questions. Um, what we always ask is, do you have any advice for our listeners or people maybe coming into the community? The number one thing is to be your true self. And it's okay if you're not, if you're not ready to be that. And let's be accepted of people that aren't ready to be there. Uh, because there's this, there's this stigma that people are always afraid to be like, oh, well, I, I've done this or um, I'm already out. I'm already out. Yeah. Why aren't you? Everyone in their own time. Mm -hmm. And let's be respectful of that. A. Um, B, I would say if you want to be a queen, um, support your local artists that are doing it now. Mm -hmm. and, and find out why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Talk to them. Have the conversation. And understand what kind of queen you want to be. Um, and C, let's all support each other more. I think we need a lot more support and a lot more love of people that are that are artists because artists are very emotional beings um, because we're all human uh is there anything that you would like to promote, promote as well absolutely um so i host a boylesque uh that is the first and third saturday of the month at charlie's nightclub here in chicago and lakeview area 
Um, I also host um, several nights at um, the Lucky Horseshoe, which is an adult um, stripper mm. establishment. Um, so I host the uh, Amateur Underwear Night, which is once a month, mm. as well as a dancer showcase, um, which is where we do different things for the dancers, so you get to know them a little bit more, so you can enjoy the experience more. Um, you can also find me doing um, story time with drag queens. Um, I do that at least once or twice a month um, around the city. Uh, and you can also um, find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for all of the new performances around the city. So before we let you go, we are going to play a game. Okay. It's called Time for Two. Three, Three two, two, one, go. Coffee or tea? Tea. Scariest movie you've seen? Um, uh, Pumpkinhead. Uh, karaoke song of choice? Mine here. <laughs> what part of the human face is your favorite? The cheeks. Describe your life using one word. Fancy. Okay. <laughs> Nail polish color of choice. Oh, green. Ooh. Ooh. The best part of waking up is. Uh, penis and your butt. I love it. Uh, what chore do you absolutely hate doing? Oh, laundry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Toilet paper, over or under? Over. Dogs or cats? <laughs> Sorry, Mary. Favorite fairy tale? Uh, Sleeping Beauty. McDonald's or Burger King? Oh, Burger King. Oh. Uh, what's your typical bedtime? Uh, two in the morning. Oh. oh. Are, you, are you good at cooking? Yes. Uh, fruits or veggies? Uh, fruits. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? No. Are you cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Always. Yes! <laughs> what's your alcoholic drink of choice? Oh, gin and tonic. Oh. Do you believe in magic? Always. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Oh, a lot. <laughs> uh, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> M&M or M&M's? Oh, M&M's. Uh, is the floor lava? Oh, wait, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> um, if you had the chance to change your fate, would you? No. Timon or Pumbaa? Oh, Timon. <laughs> Are you excited for the movie Cats the Musical? Yes. <laughs> uh, fruit salad or hot potato? Fruit salad. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Our two minutes! Well, before we go, we do have one final question oh, sure, for Raymond. Sure. Raymond, are your parents proud of you? They are. Yes! <laughs> yes! Raymond, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And scene. And scene. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well. Raymond I, has just a great That was so fun. That yeah. was, yeah, they really do. I really, Such I, a I, loving I love personality. Yeah. And of course, all this would not be made possible by our costume designer, Griffin Corbin. Yeah, thank you for making us look fabulous, my dear. I mean, we, we're, we are, I am in a tie, thanks to you. Yeah, thanks, Griffin. Yeah. And folks, if you want to follow more episodes, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Parents Proud Podcast, mm -hmm. and you can email us at parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com, and also follow us on SoundCloud. <laughs> Parents Proud Podcast. SoundCloud. I don't really know the URL, but it's on SoundCloud. It is on SoundCloud. Just follow the Facebook and the Instagram. And we post updates. them. Yeah, yeah, we post, we post the link. Them. Yeah. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time, listeners.